Hello and welcome to the Brazilian BA guest. It's a pleasure to have you here. If you are not subscribed to this channel yet, please do so right now. At YouTube, you can subscribe at the Brazilian BA. Just click on the bell so you'll be warned every time we have a new video. We are also on LinkedIn and join us, bring your questions. Today, I have a very good guest directly from South Africa, Miss Sonia Brigneux. Thank you for coming, Sonia. Thank you for inviting me, Fabrizio. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Sonia. You are an expert on a subject that is really interesting, and I believe not just for me, but for anyone, not just for business analysts, but for any professional or any person who is living in the current days that is complexity, right? And I have a question for starting this conversation, is how to be nimble in complex context. We have been talking about nimble, this ability of an organization to sense and respond to change and doing it quickly and precisely. But if the world is so complex, how can an organization be nimble? Would you like to start talking about complexity and what does that mean? Yes, I think that's probably a good place to start. Um, and I think I'll... I'll... I'll use two ways. One is I like to, I love words. So, and I love to know where words come from. So um, the word complex, that word plex, it means braided or tangled to, to, together. And so if I contrast that with another word that we, you know, sometimes we use these two interchangeably, but they actually mean very different things. So if I talk about something that is complicated, that word plek, It means folded, you know, so it's almost like a, you know, an origami fold that you can unfold, you can fully understand how it works and then you can refold it. So it's something that you can figure out, you know, so machines, for example, are, are complex, are com complicated, mm -hmm. complex, that word, you know, the plex, the entangled piece, you know, so human systems, natural systems, um, they're all complex, they're interconnected in ways that we can't fully understand. Everything is connected to everything else. And that brings with a continuous change and continue, you know, un uncertainty, basically. And so the second way that I like to describe this is with an analogy, you know, and it's, it's contrasting two different contexts. You know, it's, I, I like to say it's hard to survive in the jungle if you were trained in the zoo. And I find that kind of sometimes, you know, brings it across because it's, it's very different to, in your language, be nimble when you're in a predictable environment. Although sometimes, you know, if, if a, an organization is too much like a zoo, you know, all of the bureaucracy and the structures actually keep us from being nimble. But other times, if we don't understand that we're in the jungle, then again, it's very difficult to, to be nimble because we don't understand completely what, what we're dealing with. So, I think I'll I'll leave that there as a what is complexity. We can obviously go deeper, but um, I think that yeah. gets across. Let me bring an additional example that 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 could be interesting to to differentiate two other words that's nimble and agile. So we usually say that agile is the ability to change direction quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And nimble is the ability to sense and respond to change also quickly. We even don't have two words for that in Portuguese. We just have one, agile. But but in English they have two words. And 
if I think about a gymnastic, a, 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 a person who does those very beautiful solo uh, uh, acrobacies in, in, into the Olympics, they're very agile. They can change their position very, very quickly. But it's trained. It's a very uh, sequence of movements that they train and so they can be agile. That's very different from someone who is playing basketball or soccer. And they can train the movements, but they don't know what's going to happen with the other player that's in the other team. So that's a very complex environment. They have to sense and respond quickly. And that's a different way of, a different ability, the nimbleness of mind that, that there is needed. And in a complex environment, you we're not supposed to know what's going to happen next. So you, you have to understand. So I, I, I even think about if this question makes a lot of sense, because in a complex content, how not to be nimble, right? And survive. Maybe that's... And I, I, I think part of the problem is that we tend to assume that we're not in complexity. You know, it's over the, the last few decades you know it's it's you know, I, I guess it started with Taylorism or you know with you know when um, when we entered the the world of um, you know big factories and things being automated you know with industrialization we were kind of seduced into this idea that we can make the world predictable we can create order and that we can, you know, we live in a clock, clockwork universe. You know, it, that's almost how we, it's, it's how we, if you just think of how we're schooled, most of us, you know, I, when I went to school, it was mostly about giving right answers, um, about repeating back, you know, what, you know, the, the right answer that the teacher wanted to hear. It wasn't necessarily about thinking for myself or being nimble, I guess, in the, in the classroom. And so we've created business contexts where we assume predictability. You know, when you, you talk about nimbleness being the ability to kind of sense and respond to change, if you just think about how change typically is handled in large organizations, you know, we try to manage change. I think that's a bit of an oxymoron. We try and manage change with very linear um you know, processes with, you know, things like ADCAR and, you know, all of these um, the methodologies that almost assumes that change is predictable and we can manage it and we can control it. And I think if we really understand complexity, then we realize that, you know, you can't really control change, especially where people are, are involved. And also with where the world is at the moment, change is becoming faster and more. So, you know, by the time you've kind of managed one change, the next one is already upon you. And this is why I think people are starting to talk about change fatigue, et cetera, et cetera. But change is just part of life. And so I think a big part of the problem is, you know, why we, you know, using your example, why we tend to lean towards agile and not towards nimbleness is because for a very long time we've we've kind of assumed that we live in a complicated world, not a complex one. And that realization, I think, is dropping now that you know we are always in complexity. Let me bring Descartes to the table and, and talk about the method 
something you said, like we're trying to deal with complexity using a method. And Descartes is, is a very machine way of thinking or understanding the world. And the, the method is usually trying to reduce the complexity. I would say complexity probably is the complicated stuff into smaller pieces and, and, and make small things that I could understand. And so I'm solving small pieces. And with that, I will achieve the, 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 the big picture, like, like building a machine, bring it into small pieces. But as you said, bring into small pieces loses the connections or something more. So the method that we use it with the Cartes uh, is not very useful in a complex world. But if we're not reducing it in small pieces, how to deal with this complexity? How can we uh, how can we survive our mind? How can we uh, organize our ways of working? into this complex situation, complex context. So I think maybe one one place to, to start and one thing to just say as well is that not everything that we're dealing with is complex. Mm. So we're, I, I believe we are always in complexity, especially when we are surrounded by other humans, you know, in, in human systems, but not all of the decisions we need to make or all of the tasks that we're dealing with or the problems we need to solve are complex. So I think there are still many um, problems or tasks in an organization that are complicated or even simple, you know, where we can reduce it to parts, you know, you know, use re re reductionist thinking, linear thinking, where we can analyze things and fully understand. Remember when we said um, complicatedness is about something that's folded, you know, so we can unfold it and we can understand it. When something is truly complex, you kind of need to deal with both the parts and the whole of the system or the whole of the problem at the same time. And you really need to shift from thinking about the parts to thinking about how are things related. So what are the relationships between the parts? What is flowing? You know, I, I really um, think that a very useful lens is the lens of flow, looking at things like the flow of value through an organization, the flow of information, the flow of even um, things that aren't so tangible, you know, like the flow of trust, the flow, you know, all, all of these different kinds of flows are really useful for us to look at. And then to think, think about, you know, what is obstructing the flow? What is enabling the flow? Um, what needs to be connected that isn't? What is close to what else? What is influencing what else? And then you also need to really make peace with this idea of emergence. You know, there are, in a complicated system, you know, so if you think of a, of a car, the parts are connected in ways that's predictable. You know, they, they don't suddenly, you know, it's not, you know, when, when the wheel connects to the chassis, all of a sudden, you know, the, something else changes in, in another place in the car. But in a human system, you know, if, if you just think, for example, about something like corruption, it's an emergent property, the same as culture in an organization. It emerges from all of the thousands of little interactions happening every day, everything that's tolerated, every, you know, every interaction, even with the laws and the systems around us. And so there is this 
you know, if you want to fully understand it, you need to interact with the system. And then, even then, you're never going to fully understand it, but you'll get a sense of what it is that you need to be sensing and responding to. And it is a continuous process. You'll never completely figure it out. And I think this is why being nimble is, is actually such a, an important thing in complexity, because as you interact with the system, you will learn more about it. It will show itself in a, in a way. But as you start acting in it, you'll change it. Mm. And so it, it, it's, it's very much like a dance. You know, I like to think, you know, you're coming from, from Brazil. It's a bit like a tango. You know, you have to be present. You have to, you know, be continuously adapting to what's presenting itself. You can't analyze it from a distance. And think I like it. And, 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 and there's someone from LinkedIn saying, flow, rhythm, cadence. I don't know. Oh, uh, who is on LinkedIn? Sorry, your name didn't appear here. If you can uh, tell us your name, but I believe the same person said Zoo and Jungle are fun metaphors. Remind me of choices that parents make. Prepare the path for our children and prepare our children for the path. Sure, well, that's a one of one of my very favorite poems. Um, and now I can't remember the poet, but it will come to me. But he says. Um, Traveler, there is no path. The path is made by walking. And I think a, a key aspect of being nimble is also this ability to find our way, uh, to not expect there to be a fully prepared path and to make that path. I think that's also a, a key aspect. The uh, first time I, I, I met you, Sonia, was in, in Lisbon last year, and I saw your presentation, and something that got very strong to me was this way of dealing with complexity and, and seeing complexity. And I realized that every time I, I saw the word complexity behind me, I also had a, this background music like something very, very scary. And I started to look for the word complexity every time I saw that. I put a new soundtrack in my mind. A kind of hope, a kind of fun, a kind of, oh, that's nice, that's complexity, that's complex, that's a lot of things that we can learn from that. And, and changing this way we, we deal with complexity, we see the word complexity, makes a very, a very strong mindset shift in our mind, in, in our way of seeing it. Uh, here, tango is complex, salsa is complicated. Ah, it's Robert, Robert Snyder. It's in, he's a really good dancer, by the way. Okay, well, so I'll take <laughs> you <soon> for it. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I fully agree with you, Fabrizio, and that's a bit of a, a personal mission of mine to change how people relate to complexity, because it's a big frustration for me. And I think, it again, it comes from our language to a, to a large extent. You know, you must be familiar with all of these acronyms that's become so pop popular over the last few years. You know, we've got VUCA, we've got mm -hmm. Barney. Mm -hmm. And all of them, you know, like Barney, you know, it's, it's, you know, they talk about brittle. It's brittle, anxious. I can never remember the N, you know, it's incomprehensible is the I. But none of it is, they're not inviting words. No. And often when people, or usually when people mention the word complexity, it's in relation to a problem. 
So I've got a complex problem. They also talk about wicked problems. So we've kind of created, I think, in our minds, you know, this link between complexity and something that is a problem, something that we want to eliminate, not want anything to do with. And so we've also almost have like a, an adversarial relationship with it. So when you see very often in, in magazines like Harvard Business Review and others, when they write about complexity, they would use verbs like taming complexity or simplifying complexity or, you know, whatever you want to, you want to choose. And for me, complexity is life. Complexity is beautiful. You know, almost every system that you are part of, you know, your family, um, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your children, your extended family, any social event, you know, if you go to a tango, for example, we go on holiday in, in the natural world. We, you know, the ambiguity of good poetry, all of these things, they're example of, of examples of complexity. So to just frame complexity as a problem and something that we need to eliminate, I think, you know, it, it strips it of its aliveness, of its, of its beauty. You know, and one way that I like to think about it is if everything was complicated and everything was predictable, I just think the world would be boring. We could never have adventures because, you know, everything would be certain. And so, yeah, I, I, I really agree with you. I think, you know, and when I do work in organizations, very often I start with, you know, working with the people and shifting the way that they see complexity. Because if they can see it as generative, you know, a lot of our creativity comes from complexity. It comes from being in that uncertainty of being explorers and wayfinders. Um, that, you know, that's where creativity comes from. It's where our imaginations, you know, kind of get, you know, it can feed off of it. So trying to get rid of complexity is, is essentially getting rid of life. And, and I, I, like, I like the point that you mentioned it. It, it's important to deal with problems and problems happens in different contexts mm -hmm. and the context is complex. So you have to deal with the problem, not with the context, the context where you live, where you live and, and it, must, it may be very beautiful. Uh, so you are dealing with a problem in a context world and there's ways to do it. So I, I would like to bring some comments from the audience here so you can, you can comment on that. Robert said, I also hope we change our approach to VUCA. Let's so VUCA not surrender to it. Right? And I, I, I'm not even sure, uh, Robert, if we should solve VUCA or if you, we just should embrace VUCA because that's the world we live. I, I, I think VUCA just is. Just you know, is. And, and, I, and I think this is the thing is we've made it into a problem. And I don't think that it actually is a problem. I, I think, you know, another, another way to look at something that's complex that I find more useful, the moment you label something as a problem, you've got this urge to want to solve it. And many truly complex problems or challenges can't be permanently solved. You know, they, and so I think it, is more useful to think of complex challenges as patterns. Because remember, we spoke about emergence. So, the, you know, 
and this is why something like root cause analysis and the five whys, you know, all of all of these linear problem solving um, techniques that we're so used to, they don't really work in complexity because we've got all of these interacting elements, all of these things that's in relationship to each other. And it's a rich relationship, you know, so it's if you think of um, of in a human system, the fact that you and I are having this conversation and other people are listening in, it means that all of us in some way are changed, even if we don't even know who the people are that's listening. So there's a rich interrelationship happening here that doesn't happen in a machine. And so if we can think of these um, problems that we encounter in complex systems as patterns, Immediately, we've got multiple entry points. We can try different things and see what shifts, see what works. But if we think that we're going to linearly solve it, we're just almost immediately stuck. You know, as if you think of something really complex, for example, like homelessness or um, poverty and how it relates to things, you know, even like mental health, addiction, food security, you know, all of these, it's such a complex tangle that if you think that you can solve it like a linear problem, you're almost immediately stuck. If you can see it as a pattern with many interacting you know, elements where you can experiment and try different things, it means you're almost never stuck. And every time you try something, you learn more about the system, something changes, and it becomes, again, a dance. So I think we must dance with VUCA. I don't think we must try and solve it because... It's just, it, it is. Complexity within music and dance is kind of richness, richness, wealth, and luxury. Not sure I know what that means, but. <laughs> That's a comment. There's also a comment from our friend Thomas here, Thomas Martin. He said, you need to break down a complex problem in parts to solve it. You already spoke a little bit about that when you said that not all problems are complex. And, and he also said many people dis, despair at complexity and struggle with defining where to start. Would you like to comment it? Many of the complexity theorists will say start where you are. There's no right place to start. You know, and, I, and I think, you know, if, if you take this out of a business context, and you just think of any social structure like a family, or if you think about a natural system like a forest, I can't break that system into pieces. I can't break a forest into pieces and put it back together again without killing it. You know, and it's the same with, a, you know, if I want to understand a team or if I want to understand a family, trying to break it into its parts, you know, it's not the same as taking apart a car. And so this is why you need to understand, you need to look at the whole, you need to look at the emergent whole, you need to understand how things are related. And then also what becomes a problem, you know, if I look at a car, I can see the car in its entirety and I know where it starts and where it ends. If I look at a family, where does it start and where does it end? You know, it's do I look at the extended family? Do I look at friends? Do I, you know, so it's a, it is a, in such an interconnected and rich environment, the moment you draw a boundary or you try and break it into pieces, you might just be leaving out the most important pieces because you didn't feel it was relevant. 
And I think this is why people feel a little bit at sea, because it, it does feel sometimes like you don't know where to start. But if you, if you just start mapping what is flowing, what is related to what else, and what are some of the constraints at play in the system? You know, there are, you know, very often, you know, especially if you look at the work, for example, of Dave Snowden, you know, where, you know, he, he's got multiple theories that looks at, you know, the different constraints at play in a system and constraints create patterns. And it gives you a, a bit of a foothold in terms of where can you start intervening? So you mentioned soccer or team sport in the, you know, earlier so there are multiple constraints at play. There's the rules of the game. There's the edges of, of the field. There's the weather system at the moment. Is the field wet or is it dry? Is it, you know, there are all of these things that influence how the game can be played. And so if I want to change the game, and, and this is actually another really great analogy for a complex system. I don't know if you've come across the idea of an infinite game. I think it's um, Kars who wrote the book, The Infinite Game. And so there's a difference even between a game like soccer, where the rules are known, how to score is known, and the objective is to win. So even though the game itself might be complex, you know, the, the environment is not necessarily complex. Mm -hmm. This is what Pars called an infinite game, where the purpose is to keep the game going. And you can, and the rules are continuously changing because the objective is not to win or lose, it's to keep the game going. Mm. And that, uh, that is an entirely different context. I like that. And, 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 and that makes you sometimes the one who is creating the rules and adapting the rules so the game can continue. And the game probably uh, should keep people happy and that's really part of the game of life and you you mentioned the example of dealing with your family dealing with my kids and that's complex and uh, if you have teenagers at home and you and you think that as a problem there's no solution for that unless you kill your son that's a solution for a problem that's not what you want so one thing, one thing that I, I'm listening to you and trying to understand is that complex situations are not to be solved. They are to be dealt with. So if I have a, a complex problem, I won't solve it. I should deal with it. I learn how to deal. And how can I deal with myself? I create restrictions, as you said. I can create some rules to put our, our life in some way that he and I could coexist in the same house and be happy together. Uh, I must understand and dance, as you said, make some moves, see what he does, be at the, sense his moves and try to, to bring to my own. So it's not an, a game with an end. Poverty, corruption, that's not a game with an end. It, those things will never end. We just have to learn how to deal with it and creating some boundaries, trying to, to, to adjust the route, but it's every day and start where you are. I like those songs. Mm. And I, I think, you know, the thing is, within these complex problems, if we can call them that, there are aspects that's complicated or clear. There are aspects that we can solve. Mm -hmm. But the thing in its entirety, 
we dance with, we shift, we, you know, and, and a key aspect, and this is why I like your idea of sense and respond, because one of the ways that we deal with complexity is to experiment, mm -hmm. is to try different things and see what works. And if something works, you amplify it. If something doesn't work, you disrupt it or you dampen it. So it's a very, it's, a, it's an active involvement. And, and also sometimes what you need to do some of the things are quite counterintuitive. You know, this is something that I often encounter in, in organizations in an effort to be more agile. There's almost this continuous need to go faster. You know, there's this, we need to be faster. And sometimes in complexity, you need to slow down. You need to slow down to really observe what is happening you know, very often in, in organizations, you know, what I see is somebody will come and they'll institute quite a big change. And then they don't give that change the opportunity to actually create the, the outcome that they were looking for before they do the next one. You know, so you see this often with reorganizations. And so when you're really in a complex system, you know, like when you're dealing with your teenager, you can't just, you know, do one thing and then do the other thing. You need to, if you've put a new boundary in place, you need to watch for a while to see what happens. Is it working? Isn't it working? Tweak it. Don't just throw, you know, do one change upon another change upon another change to try and go faster. Because very often this is what, you know, we can go faster in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, and that, that brings that idea from, from Thomas about breaking uh, uh, down the complex problem, or at least your changes, breaking down everything. So my, my kid, I, I, I may create some rules about clothes thrown away in the floor of the bathroom. And then that's a very simple one, not, not a complex one. Just put your clothes in, uh, in the right place. Uh, and let's use some time to deal with it. Let's see how he adapts to it. And don't hit him the next morning because he didn't follow the rule. There are some other comments here I would like you to comment on them. So Ben Hughes say, do you think men have more of a propensity to solve or that pattern have solutions? Or is it more complex than that? I can see Ben asking that question. He's a friend of mine. Um, I think it is more complex than that. Although what I what I do think is that many men have in in many cultures around the world, men have kind of been taught, you know, that you don't show emotion, you have to have answers. If you're a leader, you have to know where you're going. You know, so there's a decisiveness that I think men or let's, let's say it's it's kind of a masculine quality, you know, that that is very prevalent in the world. So I won't go as far as saying that men have more of a propensity in general, but I do think that there are narratives. And with those narratives, I guess, mental models that come with um, what does it mean, you know, if you're young to be a man? And then that translates also into what does it mean then to be a leader? But then at the same time, I think many, many women have also been enculturated to try and lead like men. And so I, I think this comes less with a gendered aspect than it comes with something that is a prevailing 
kind of a culture in, in, in the business world and in government. I think it's in leadership in, in general. Some, some culture and expectations, let's say. So something that is expected mm. and maybe more demanded or, or, or requested from men than, than, than from boys than girls, uh, not necessarily natural. Okay. Uh, there's an interesting question from Thomas here. We talk about complexity mostly negatively, and you spoke about that. Are there any positive aspects about it? Would you like to bring some examples? You already mentioned some of uh, uh, complex relations that are very positive, like family or stuff like that, but bringing complexity. Let's say I want to bring complexity for my company. That would be counterintuitive. Would that be a good idea? One of my friends on LinkedIn, um, Frank Spencer, he said the other day, you know, if you look at, at the natural world, increasing complexity means increasing maturity. So in a, in a, as a, an ecosystem or an organism matures, it becomes more complex. And so I think that's one way to look at it. Um, You know, for me, it's, it's, it's almost difficult to, to answer that question because every system that is alive, anything that is alive, an organism, an ecosystem, a family, any living system is complex. And so to a large extent, complexity is, is, is our natural um, habitat. You know, it's the, the family you grew up in is complex. Your body is a complex system. So one example of a good complex system would be your immune system. Your immune system is complex. You couldn't, mm -hmm. follow, you couldn't be in the world without that immune system. Um, more and more, we're, we're, just, we're learning how complex our bodies actually are. You know, if we, we're not really one organism. We're almost more like a symbiote. You know, if you look at the gut biome, the, you know, all, of these, all of these things where we are complexity, consciousness, is a complex, you know, an, an emergent property. You know, we still don't really understand consciousness. You know, we know that it's it doesn't reside in your head. You know, it's it's ex embodied and extended. We, you know, so anything that's alive is complex. And the moment we try and break it into pieces, or the moment we try to make it fit our linear way of thinking, we almost deanimate it. Um, and so I I think, and this is where we started a little bit, Fabrizio is. For some reason, the word complexity has almost become synonymous with problem. You know, like I don't ever hear people say, oh, wow, it's complex. I hear them say, oh, whatever expletive you want to use, it's complex. You know, and, and so we, we are always in a, I almost want to say an away state from the complexity. It's like we need to defend ourselves against it. You know, and that is like defending yourself against life. Uh, so, Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking about some situations I have seen in some companies that they don't use this word of creating complexity, but I think that's what they are doing in a positive way, is when an organization is looking for different people into their... When I say different people, people from different colors, different genders, different areas, uh, uh, different countries, different languages, to join their organization and bring some complexity to their organization so they are more able to sense 
and respond to the complexity that's in the environment. So if an organization is not complex enough, it, it won't be able to deal with complexity. If I just have an organization, and let's use my organization, IBA is in the top of our head here. If IBA is in the International Institute of Business Analysis, if this organization just have employees from the same country, how can they be international? How can they understand the differences that we have in Brazil, you have in South Africa, people have in Asia or Australia? They must bring complexity to their body of employees and to their culture so they can deal with complexity. Looking for an organization in the lens of an, a culture, corporate culture, and not just process, rules, systems, and, and org charts. Uh, uh, that's a way of bringing complexity to the table in a positive way, I understand. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, what you're... So there is this principle that you need complexity to meet complexity. Um, I think it was... Um, uh, Stanley McChrystal in his book also said, you know, you know, in Team of Teams, he said you need a network to counter a network. You know, so this it's this um, idea of requisite diversity. And and I I agree, it does introduce more complexity. The moment you bring more diversity in, you know, there's more difference. And it's we that difference can be generative. You know, I think that's that's where a lot of um, you know innovation, for example, comes from. Is all of this difference kind of rubbing up against each other? But again, you know, I don't know about in 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 Brazil, but definitely in South Africa, we've made the idea of diversity a problem to solve. Whereas if you look at it the way that we're looking at it now, if we're looking at it as you know from a complexity perspective, diversity is a strategic asset to nurture. So in an ecosystem, if there's not enough diversity, then the system, you know, it, 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 it doesn't have resilience. And the same is true in a human system. If we all think the same and the context around us shifts, then, you know, we, we have what's colloquially called a Kodak moment because we, are, we don't have that ability to be nimble when things change. And so, yes, I, I agree with you that diversity in an organization, but also in in a country, you know, like South Africa, we are extremely diverse. We've got, you know, 11, 11 um, languages we've got. And there's a beauty and a strength in that diversity. But sometimes because it's difficult to be with and to work with people who are different to us, we start seeing that as a problem, not as a strength. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that then. Sometimes complexity is misunderstood as, as a problem, as you said before, and not as a strength. And, and it should be understood as a strength as well. Not just, but as well. Let me bring some more comments from people who I hadn't bring comments before, so you can comment on the comments. Right? Uh, I agree it's about revisiting the situation, re-evaluating, and then action, sense and respond. And timelines are important. Give the change a bit of hope, as you said, waiting to see what happens after the change that you... I think... Yeah, not sure I, if you want to add something to that. that no, that's I, I, just, I just also want to acknowledge, you know, that you know, even, even with this message that we shouldn't always frame complexity as a problem, I don't want to deny that it can be quite anxiety-provoking. 
mm-hmm. it is it's continuously changing it's hard to make sense of it it's you know and, and sometimes it it you know like for example if you're losing market share if you're a large organization losing market share and you can't really get to the bottom of these complex market dynamics you know it it can create anxiety and almost a sense of urgency to try and solve it and very often what happens then is the things we do end up making things worse but then also this idea of giving change some rope i think sometimes it can be very difficult in a business context again with this narrative that leaders have to be decisive it can be very very difficult to sit back and allow something to play out because very often people would look at that and say you know you're why are you so passive why aren't you being the decisive leader you know so this is unfortunately very often what we see is that leaders who are naturally good in complexity very sometimes don't survive in large organizations because they do things that's counter to you know what i guess we're taught in mba is a good leader should do so giving things time slowing things down it's quite countercultural in many um in many organizations Uh, there's a nice comment from Thomas here. Uh, early humans were in a similar situation. They didn't understand scientifically what was going on around them. So what they what did they do? They invented God and religion to get some guidance and hope in all the crazy world. Maybe that's what we also need: clarity, vision on the future we want to have, and start shaping it rather than despairing at the current complexity. And he brings this way of dealing with complexity with a vision, not exactly an algorithm to solve a problem. It's a vision, some clarity, a vision on the future, and what religions bring and what a lot of organizations do as well, create a vision, a shared vision, not path, vision, and try to learn the path step by step What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think where we are now, we need to acknowledge the current complexity, but not get despondent about it. You know, acknowledge where we are. And I think one of the things that links a little bit to what he was saying is, I think we need to shift from having very direct goals and expecting particular outcomes to having a sense of direction. And I think that's where vision comes in. You know, it's, yes, this is where we are now. Acknowledge where we are now. What is possible from here and what isn't? What direction do we want to go into? What is that future vision? And then to help us, you know, with the wayfinding, because, and this is why I think constraint or boundaries in a in a human system is important because, in a, I, I don't know about you, but if, I don't know if you've ever you know, tried to, paint, for example, but having that completely blank canvas in front of you can be quite, you know, there's just so many options. It's like a menu in a restaurant with too many options. The moment we can create some boundaries, it makes it safer for us to explore. You know, it's it's even, you know, it's it's even young children you'll see, you know, if you if they know where the boundaries are, they feel safer. So one of the things that I've been working on is a is a framework I call the Ways Finder that helps us do these things. And I think Some of the role that that religion has played, you know, as he said as well, is it does provide 
a vision to some extent, but what it really does provide, does provide are guardrails. It provides boundaries in terms of what is right, what is wrong, what can you do, what can't you do. And I think some religions, you know, take that too far. But if you can set a, if you can acknowledge where you are, where are we now? What is possible from where we are now? Where do we want to go? What is that direction that we want to head into? Where can't we go? You know, so where are there limits or, or you know, things that we just can't do anything about? So these could be laws. It could be, you know, what, whatever. It, it's just something. These are constraints we have to work within. So going back to your soccer analogy, we have to stay within the, within the field and we have to play by the rules. You know, we, mm -hmm. that is the limit. But then on the other side of this, to kind of almost create a code of possibility, if you want to call it that. Where do we choose not to go? Because if we if we make it too broad, then we 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 you know scatter our focus. Who do we choose to be as we're moving? This creates a a field of potential that we can explore, and where we can experiment, and where we can move forwards into the uncertainty. And for me, that is a, a key way to look at complex problems. It's not about it's not like planning a business trip. So I want to get to a particular point to Lisbon. I, you know, I can book the flights. Everything is known. This is more like a journey of exploration. I know where I am and I know the direction I want to head in. I know where I can't go and I know where I don't want to go. But within that, I'm, ex I'm experimenting. I'm dancing with the system. I'm seeing what, what emerges. And that to me is, is you know, a way, for example, to move strategically as well in a complex environment. It's through strategic wayfinding. Right. And that's a different way of defining strategy because not defining specific goals and objectives and measurable objectives, but specifying a direction, putting some guardrails or some constraints, as you said, but like, I, I can't do what I don't want to do, but giving this space for, for experimentation and for adaptation very interesting. Let me bring some more comments. Suzette, personally, in complex situations, they oversimplify situations and often might appear to address the complexity, but really leave significant blind spots. But they present to other men. And if you are a persuasive man, then other men buy it. Selling a solution for a complex problem where the solution might not exist. Yeah, I, I think we are we are drawn to simplicity, unfortunately. And I don't think it's only a, a I, I don't think it's gendered. You know, I I but we typically the I think also because we've got this bias to action and this need to solve things. You know, we tend to as she says, oversimplify. We we make things simplistic. You know, so there's a there's actually a simplicity within the complexity if you're able to just be with the complexity because we're dealing with patterns and we're, you know, it's it's something that we are all we all know how to be in complexity because we grew up in a complex family. You know, we we've always been in complexity. It's just when we come into the workplace that all of a sudden we imagine ourselves to be in this wonderfully predictable ordered world that's more like a machine than you know a living system and so we do 
in, in many contexts. And also because the things that we are taught, um, when you do an MBA, for example, the things that you're taught as best practice, when you apply those very often in complexity, that's when you get yourself in trouble because many of those things are more suited to complicated or ordered in environments. Um, so yes, I, I agree that it happens. I, I just don't think that it's a, a gendered thing. Um, sometimes I, I believe that simplicity is, is a kind of a dream that people love simplicity. And so for every complex problem, there is a simple answer that just doesn't worth it and doesn't solve anything. But it's so easy to sell. So people are looking for those medicines that cure everything, you know, the, the, the elixir, uh, something that can solve all the problems of your life. And that's so simple. Oh, why didn't I get it before? Because it doesn't exist. But there, there are people selling those kind of untruth medicines for solving every problem's life. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I think it's, you know, there's, there's this um, saying in, in, the, in the business world that nobody's been fired for hiring McKinsey. <laughs> and I think you can su substitute McKinsey with many other of these large consulting companies. You know, that might have changed now a little bit. But it is because to some extent, you know, they are selling answers. They are selling solutions. They are selling simplicity. And I think if, if we're... If we're honest with ourselves, Fabrizio, we all like certainty. You know, it makes us feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Humans, we we organize for comfort. We optimize for for comfort. We like to be comfortable, um, and we we what makes us comfortable are things like certainty, predictability, feeling in control. I think we all like to feel in in control, having clarity. And then I would almost answer, you know, add to that convenience. You know, if you look at, you know, just the world at, at the moment, we can, you know, I can pick up my phone now, order groceries or order takeout. In 30 minutes, it's delivered. I can go onto Netflix and watch anything that I want to watch. I can binge watch the entire series. Not like when I grew up, you kind of had to wait for every Friday. So we optimize for, for those things. And so somebody that comes and says, I can guarantee you an outcome. I can change your culture for you. I can install agile. I can do, you know, and what all of these, you know, we, we want to believe it. And so we, we go for it. We, we don't like the answer that says, you know what, I can partner with you and we can, we can kind of, you know, try different things, see what works, evolve together, co-create something, you know, almost like fit for context agility or nimbleness, whatever you want to call it. It's not the easy, I'll just come in and, and train all your people and install whatever it is that, that you're looking for. Um, so yes, it, it happens. Yeah. And people are sometimes naive in, in buying something that's, that's not real. Uh, but it, it, it have a, a, a good sales pitch as as what's her name? Uh, Suzette. Suzette spoke, right? So people like like the simple solution for complex problem, despite the their they don't exist. And here you are saying, oh, you, you must understand 
instead of solving complexity, learn how to live in that pattern, observe the patterns, understand how it is, deal with it, create some boundaries, bring a feature. I believe you even answered my, my starting question, which was not a very easy one, how to be nimble in complex contexts. You brought some very interesting answers for that. Uh, let me see, we have some more questions. I'm not bringing all the questions uh, and comments for the uh, 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 for this chat because we don't have time for that. But Kodak moment, you said about those moments that matter, bring bringing joy and beauty to, to stakeholders. That was your, your point? I guess, I guess that's one way to look at it. But, you know, what I... The colloquial meaning to Kodak, to a Kodak moment is, is a little bit similar to what happened to the dinosaurs. Um, they kind the of... Kodak the company, not yes, Kodak, Kodak the picture. Kodak the company, you know, Kodak, it's, it's, you know, when you become complacent and you become almost a little bit arrogant, you know, you feel that you know everything, you know, it, it's, you know, overconfident to some extent and the context shifts and to your... Um, to your point, Fabrizio, you don't have enough diverse perspectives, people who can see this coming and who can kind of adapt, then, you know, very often the, the company as a, as a whole becomes irrelevant and collapses. The same thing happened to Nokia. Yeah, you must be able to survive and you mm. must to deal with complexity to be nimble. Mm. Okay, good. Good. Uh, boundaries, another important culture trait in dance. So using dance again as a, as a metaphor. What did Johnny Castle, Patrick Say, say, this is my dance space, this is your dance space. So quoting uh, Dirty Dancing, right? One of my favorite movies. I'm not going to tell you how, how many times I've watched it. I'm a bit embarrassed to say. <laughs> <laughs> What can I say? Uh, would you say that that movement is complex or complicated? Probably complicated. <laughs> you can train for that, right? Okay. Uh, Perfect. I, I, I would like to, to, to call a name for this session and would like to hear from you what, what points that maybe you didn't have the chance or I didn't ask, uh, ask you for that, but there are important points about complexity, you think it's important for us to, to, to take us some takeaways from this session today? I think, you know, if I have to summarize what it takes to be nimble in complex contexts, you know, I, I think it, it requires a workforce as well as an organization that is what we call fit for complexity. You know, you'll see that, you know, that my company's name is Complexity Fit. And what we mean by fitness is it's an ecological term. It's, it's the ability to be at ease in a particular context or in a natural system, in a niche. You know, it's almost the way that a, a leopard is at ease in the bush. Um, a bird is at ease in the forest. And I, I think that is, we, we need to, in a way, reskill our people to see complexity differently and, and even more tangible to relate differently to change because complexity comes with change. And in many organizations, there's almost a, a resistance to, to change. And I think to a large extent, because just like complexity, people have a, they have a, a, a relationship with change that's not generative. So I think to start with 
How do we create a workforce that's complexity fit? What are the skills they need? What are the habits of mind they, they, they need? And then from an organizational perspective, what do we need to change in the way that we're structured? What do we need to change in the way that we measure success, the targets we set? You know, if there's one thing that keeps an organization from being nimble and that creates unintended consequences, it's what we choose to measure. So I think this focus on what does it mean to be complexity or change fit is a really, is a really interesting one. And then one last thing I'll leave you with is um, in answer to that question, to some extent, we looked at what enabled us to be fit when we found ourselves in really complex, novel contexts? And we created an acronym you know, that we, we talk about being cool in complexity. And so cool is an acronym for, let's call them four habits of mind. The first is courage. Sometimes it needs courage to go into the unknown. It needs courage to let go of you know, all of the things that we think are our best practices. Um, openness is the first O. Openness to diverse perspectives. Openness to learning and unlearning. Openness to curiosity. Um, openness to, you know, bring our imagination and to things, you know, to just acknowledging what is there. The second O is for observing. Observing has two parts. One is observing yourself. Like, when am I triggered? When do I feel anxious when things are complex and I can't really understand? Can I take a step back, take a pause, take a deep breath and choose how I want to respond and not just go into a knee-jerk reaction? That's the one side. The other side is observing the context. What is going on around me? Am I situationally aware? What is changing? What is staying the same? What, what is the pattern? And then the L is for lightness. And lightness is the most important one. If I would start with lightness, but then it wouldn't spell cool anymore, and then I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but lightness is this ability to not take yourself too seriously, to try different things and, you know, if you know, to fail and learn from the failure, to play, really play, you know, not just say we're playing with the numbers or we're playing with st strategy, but really play. Bring your curiosity, bring your imagination, see the beauty um, that is in the complexity, even when it's a problem. I think we have too little lightness in our organizations, and I think that is why you know, so many so many people are very close to burnout because everything is so serious, and you know everything we we forget to you know just bring our humanity to to the workplace. So I'll leave you with that one. Be cool when you encounter complexity, and um, yeah, I, I hope that was useful. Uh -huh. I guess we have a very light conversation about complexity. So it was very cool uh, to speak with you. Just before ending, last minute, if people want to find you, uh, you, you, you told us about your, your organization, what's the address where they can find you? So they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I also blog on Medium. And then they can go to www.complexityfit.com. Okay, I will put those addresses on the description of this video for those who are not watching us live but recorded, so it's going to be even easier for them to connect. So, yeah, thank you very much. It was a, such a pleasure to have you here. I learned it so much, and I hope everyone who joined us has learned it as well. And I hope to see you soon again. Thank you, and ditto.
Yes, it was a really cool conversation. <laughs> bye bye, folks. Thank you for the comments in the chat. See you next week. Thank you.